What's the point of worship? What's the real reason that we come together to celebrate the Mass? The goal is to look like Jesus. I really want to tell you what I've been trying to tell you for two days. Mindfulness babble, of babble, audio babble. levels. <laughs> just give it some effort, would you? There's something so beautiful to just remaining hidden in the heart of the Father. If we've got to be exhausted. Let's be exhausted for the kingdom. We became Facebook friends. I just want to tell people how awesome it is to be Catholic. There's so much freedom. From St. Pius X Church in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is Roar Like the Lamb. Do I begin with clouds? Hi, Paula. Hi. <laughs> you want to talk about clouds? I do. I learned something really awesome the other day. Well, because I like to have thoughts, and sometimes my thoughts are very random and have nothing to do with everyday life. I was driving on the highway on Route 8, and there were just a bunch of clouds. And I thought to myself, okay, I know that there are raindrops up there. I know that it is like they're more like crystallized. But then I began thinking, why do clouds float? How do they float? How is that possible? And then I started wondering, well, how much do clouds weigh? So I did a little bit of research. This was over the course of two weeks. Come to find out that clouds weigh 1.1 million pounds. And then I'm like, but wait, how is it that 1.1 million pounds is just above us, yet they don't crush us? Also, when it rains, like, it doesn't all rain at once. Otherwise, everything would just be destroyed. But God sends it in droplets. So I was pretty intrigued by that. And then I did research. And the there's like a government department that, you know, does nautical stuff and air stuff. I forgot the name of the department. <laughs> the nautical stuff and air stuff department of the U.S. government. Of the United States of America. What do you do? Air stuff. <laughs> so, That's weird. So it turns out that um, the density in dry air is a lot heavier than the density of the air in the clouds. So the clouds actually float on top of our dry air. So it's kind of like an oil and water situation. Um at least that's the example that they used okay. on this website. But I found it pretty in interesting that the density of dry air, the one that we're breathing, is heavier, and that's why clouds are able to float. Very interesting. Isn't that – that's remarkable. Okay. And then I was just, like, thinking, like, wow, like, how perfectly God just creates, you know? I mean, like, here's what could be a catastrophe, you know, like, you know, one wrong miscalculation, and we would just be crushed by clouds. <laughs> And that was all inspired by driving up Route 8. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's where my mind that's where my mind goes. <laughs> okay. No, that's cool. I drove up Route 8 yesterday myself. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I realized that I had some some time free. I had coverage for the evening hours and everything. And I said, you know what? It's a really good day. I'm going fishing. Oh, nice. And so I went out and I went fishing because I have a presbyteral council meeting today. And I knew that I was going to need something fun to do <laughs> that would help me get through the meeting today. So I went out and I, I, I went fishing. But I got so excited about going yeah. that I went not nearly as prepared as I as I should have been. Oh, so you just left. So like I, I threw all my stuff in the in the car and I, and I drove up. And it was great. It was a nice drive and, and it was a beautiful day. It was great to get out there. I got on the river and on the Farmington River and there's like there, there were flies everywhere. I'm going, this is going to be awesome. This is so perfect. But then I realized that the fly that I had tied on wasn't quite the right fly. Mm. So I went to take it off and I realized that there's these little clippers that you have that help you to cut the line nice mm -hmm. and cleanly. And then when you tie a new fly on, it makes the, the, the knot that much tighter and nicer. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have like an extra little piece of string hanging off the fly. I didn't have those clippers. Oh. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. How do I not have these things? I have no idea where they are. 
absolutely no clue. And I realized that I hadn't done a full check of all my gear or anything like that. So I just kind of went for it and there it was. So I'm out there fishing the wrong kind of fly for a while, uh, on, on the river. And there's like some fish rising, not too many. Um, and I'm covered in flies. I've never actually like been in the middle of the hatch. So I've got all these flies all around me. I'm going fish, come get me. This should be the time you should be wanting all of this. There's so many, there's so many bugs here. They're for you. Come, come take them, my pretties. And I couldn't, they wouldn't come. So I, Sounds I maniacal. yeah, exactly. So I, I had to like bite through the line and, and get a new fly on there. Yeah. I put the new fly on and there was just no interest at that point. And I said, okay, well, you know what? This was worth it. This is a hundred percent worth it. I, I learned a valuable lesson uh, about, about how to be more prepared when fishing. I learned uh, that, even when it seems like all the flies should be coming, they might, the fish might still not show up. Huh? And I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I had a nice drive. I got to see very beautiful terrain. I love, I love driving on Route 8. It's really nice. You know. Well, I mean, once you get past Seymour. Oh, yes. Past Seymour is the nice spot. That's true. Be- before that, it's just kind like of. Like the little valleys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The valley i'm sorry the valley it's actually really great because every time i drive through it it always reminds me of vermont but then i'm like these are too small these little hills yes it's not quite the the vermont oh of course they're, they're not the green mountains right as i mean yes so anyways so all right today i want to talk about joseph so we're talking about joseph we're talking about joseph who's found in the book of genesis all right. Who has a real story that you can read. So Joseph is known as this righteous man in scripture. So he is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, uh, Jacob, who gets a name change to Israel. So this is where we start. We get the name of the Israelites. Now, Joseph had issues with his brothers. Not that he really did anything wrong, except that he was the favored one of his dad. But his brothers got really jealous and they wanted to kill him. So uh, they said, you know what, why don't we just go ahead and um, destroy him? One of his other brothers spoke up. He's like, you know what, why don't we just, why don't we not kill him? Why don't we just sell, sell him into slavery? So they faked his death. They took part of his tunic and pretended like there was some blood on it and came back to their dad, Joseph. I mean, Jacob. Uh, to just tell him, hey, um, this is, here's what's happened. Your son has died. And Jacob was very like distraught, you know, like he had lost his beloved son that he loved. What ends up happening to Joseph is that he ends up moving into Egypt. Well, and he didn't move. move into Egypt. That sounds like he just chose to relocate to Egypt. He was, he was, was thrown into a cistern and then sold to a group of Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And yeah. so he was sold. He was, he was used as, as human currency he did not choose to relocate to Egypt. Well, it just seems like the sun would be good for my complexion. <laughs> it's a better climate for me. No, he was. He, he didn't just like move into Egypt. Right, <laughs> he didn't. Now, the reason why their brothers got upset with him was because that Joseph had a dream. At one point, he had said to his brothers, and correct me if I'm wrong. You can read it. I there. can read it. All the, right. You've got the Bible in front of you. You can read the story of 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 what happened. All right. Give me one second because I had the wrong Joseph really but... is a, a great figure. No, the, the idea is that in his dream, he, he sees himself or he interprets the dream, meaning that he himself so, is better than the brothers. The, the exactly. other brothers are going to bow down before him. So once Joseph had a dream, which he told to his brothers, listen to this dream I had. There, there we were binding sheaves in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose to an upright position and your sheaves formed a ring around my sheaf and bowed down to it. 
Are you really going to make your sing yourself king over us? Says his brothers. So that is the image that that he had. Now Joseph was gifted in that he received dreams and visions from the Lord that would really help either support the kingdom or um, prevent great things in the future. So. The brothers obviously did not like that because he had been picked out as the one who was kind of kind of lead. And so what they decided to do was like, yeah, well, let's just kill him and sell him into slavery. They didn't kill him. They sold him into slavery. Uh, and then what ends up happening to Joseph as once he goes to Egypt, he is just he's a righteous man who keeps experiencing these really terrible moments of suffering. Like he's sold into slavery. Um, his family is against him. So, I mean, I can only imagine like he would feel alone. And then once he's in Egypt, um, just more things happen to him. Like he spends how, like a long time in one of the jail cells. So he's thrown into jail and then he's freed from that jail though, because the Pharaoh has a dream and the Pharaoh's dream is confusing. The Pharaoh's dream frightens him. And he needs to know what to do. And it turns out that Joseph has the ability to interpret the dream. So Pharaoh calls for him and says, what is my, what, what does this dream mean that I had? Joseph doesn't just tell him what it means. He also told him what the dream was. Mm -hmm. And that's the coolest part. Yeah. This that, was your dream. Now let me tell you what it means. There's oh. going to be famine in your land and you need to prepare. Yeah. And what's, what I find really awesome is that every time something happens to Joseph in the scripture, it says, and the Lord was with him. And when you are experiencing these moments of like, you know, like you're being accused, um, you're being hated on, you're being persecuted. It just seems like every time you take a step, it just gets worse. And so he's constantly in like these valleys every single time. But in the peaks and the valleys of Joseph's life, you always find in scripture and the Lord was with him. And I want to focus on that because one is showing that God is drawing close to this, to this man, that he is, his presence is near him in his suffering, but also in when he rises, um, Joseph, because he was able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh is now given position of like almost as prime minister of Egypt. Like you're in charge of now making sure that we know how to survive this famine that is coming in about seven years. Uh, and he does, he, is organizing the entire land, organizing um, in stocks and just kind of building up like storage for when this famine would come. And what I, I like about this story is we can, in our lives, experience different areas when we are going through suffering, um, but how those experiences and also believing that the Lord is with us is going to lead us to moments where we then have to lead that my story of um, stuff can help in another person's life as a way for them to know how to, in, not as simply endure their suffering, but to know that God is going to bring a greater good out of it. And you can kind of look at Joseph and say, well, that's not fair that that all had to happen to him because you see the whole time that he is righteous. But then he gets placed into this position of leadership as prime minister to, to lead the people and to lead Egypt but it's rooted in this place the Lord was with, with him and Joseph knew. Like leadership doesn't come from a place of I want to have power or I want to receive gifts or affirmations or have people like me. It comes from a place first, especially Christian leadership, of knowing my relationship with God. And God is the one who places people in positions of influence. Now, 
I will also say that everybody has influence. Just everybody's going to live out their um, leadership to different degrees. So I could have influence in my family. You know, I can lead in my family and in and, and those things. But in these moments where Joseph really could have just like thrown in the towel, forgotten about God, chosen not to like follow the rules, chosen to um, really chosen to just abandon God, even though there were so many reasons that he could have used to like feel abandoned by him. He chose to be righteous. And I, one of the things um, I love about leadership that I want to highlight is this thing called an, an indomitable spirit. And at first you're like, well, what does that word mean? Um, am I, is my spirit indomitable? Can I withstand uh, the tragedies or sufferings or the, the moments in my life that seem to put me into a valley? Can I, can I really have this indomitable spirit to not just simply um, overcome them, but to walk through them and to continue? And that's what you see in Joseph. After every single moment, he's a great witness of what it means to have an indomitable spirit, but it's not rooted in like your own willpower and uh, self-reliance, but it's rooted in like, I'm going to rest in the presence of God. God himself is going to take care of me. And this acceptance to just endure what is happening at that moment, uh, rather than the temptation to shy away from something because it got too hard. Hmm. Um, because it's like, well, this is not what I signed up for. Um, well, it should be better than this. I'm not happy. Um, no one enters into leadership because it's going to be good, but because it's actually more or less a call of suffering in a very holy way, like almost you're laying down your life sacrificially for the sake of service. So yeah, I wanted, wanted to highlight that today. Joseph is also really fascinating because if you look at the the start, look at Joseph when he's still at home, when he's still with his father Jacob, when he's still with his brothers. And what you'll see is that there's a certain immaturity about him. Mm. There's a certain immaturity about Joseph, but it comes from a good place. It's not a bad sort of immaturity. It's a sort of a logical developmental immaturity. So Joseph grows up. He is a beloved son of his father. He's a beloved son of his father. He has a, a unique relationship. He's on the younger end of his brothers, right? There's mm -hmm. only Benjamin who's younger than him. Right. So Joseph is, is on the younger end, and Joseph is, is has a very special relationship with his father. And it's different than the relationship that his father has with his brothers, as the father's relationship is unique with each of his sons, right? So Jacob has a unique relationship with each of the sons, but there's something special, something different about Joseph. Joseph is given this gift, the beautiful coat, as that just a, a special sign of, of Jacob's love for him. He gives him this gift. The brothers are, are kind of thinking, well, we never got anything like that. <laughs> what is this? And of course, Joseph is so excited about the gift that he wants to show it off. And so he makes a big deal about the coat. He makes a big deal about this wonderful gift that he has been given. Then Joseph has this dream, and it's a powerful one of, of seeing his sheaf of wheat standing tall while the others all bow down before him. And he sees that I have a special role to play within my family. Mm -hmm. Now, in his in his immaturity, he tells them about that, and it sounds more like bragging. He has to learn humility. He has to learn that that his role, whatever this, this prophecy is that he's received in the dream, mm. is going to be something that's not for, just for him. It's not for his own glory. So he needs to learn how to, how to sort of 
nuance what he says, how he says it. He has to learn how to be in a relationship with other people, aware that other people have their own their own issues. So his brothers are dealing with their own stuff. His brothers are trying to be good. His brothers are trying to please their father in their own way. His brothers are trying to be recognized. They see him, and, and to be recognized, sometimes you need to realize that other people, uh, other people are also looking to be recognized, to be seen. Mm-hmm. And Joseph never has to worry about that. He knows that his father sees him and loves him. But the other brothers, maybe they worry about that. Maybe they're, they're afraid of that. When Joseph ends up sold into slavery... He, for the first time in his life, confronts serious adversity. He is no longer the golden child. He doesn't even have the beautiful coat that was given to him. So he's lost that outward sign of his specialness. He's lost that outward sign of his, of his dignity and how much he's loved. He's been abandoned. His brothers themselves were the ones who threw him into the cistern and sold him. Mm-hmm. So he has, he has lost that sense of, I belong here. I'm part of something. And now he's wondering, what did that dream mean? that they would bow down before me. I don't understand. He goes into Egypt as a slave. And so even though he's righteous, even though he's good, now this adversity teaches him something. This challenge, this this suffering teaches him who he really is. And he starts to unlock more and more of what the Lord is asking. So he's faithful in the way that he serves even. Even as a slave, he's, he's faithful. When Potiphar's wife accuses him unjustly. He's thrown into jail. And now he goes, I did the right thing. I did, I did something good and upright. I was, I was righteous. I did not fall into sin. I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this happening? But it's even there in the prison that Joseph's gifts are used for others. He recognizes that he's, he's got a call and that call is to show others the way. When he's finally set free from prison because he's able to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, he now is given the position. He's sort of restored. He becomes like a son to Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. It's a different way. It's an administrative sonship as opposed to a <laughs> filial sonship, right? He's been he's given this role. You're going to help us take care of the kingdom. You're going to help us take care of the nation, all the people. So here you will take charge of this project. You will take charge of this important thing, this important work. I trust you, which is what every son needs to hear, right? Mm. You are trusted, you are known, you're loved, you're cared for. I see your ability. I see what you can do. It's what every child needs to hear, not just every son, mm-hmm. every child, right? So he hears now, yes, I can I can do this, and he sets to work. So he gets to work doing it, but now he's maturing because it's not for him. It's not for his own glory. It's not because I am special. It's because this thing that sets me apart, this thing that does make me unique and special isn't for me. This thing that sets me apart, makes me unique and special is for Others. the people. Yeah. yeah. So he, he sets to work, does the thing, and then his brothers end up coming to Egypt. In the midst of famine, his brothers come to Egypt looking for help. What's your first response when somebody who has harmed you comes back looking for something. Oh, you look for revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Get out. I don't want you. Yeah. I need I, I don't need to have anything to do with you. Get out. You don't belong here. Why should I help you? That would be the most natural, logical sort of response. But see, this is where Joseph's maturity has come in. Mm-hmm. Now he's matured. He knows what his gift is for. He knows the purpose. He knows why he has this, this power, why he has this ability. And he recognizes this isn't just for me. This is for others. And this is even going to save my family. Mm-hmm. I love, though, the, the little game that he plays with them. He does. 
but part of that is it's it's I don't think it's it's a, an evil sort of thing. He's not he's not just toying with them for the for the sake of toying with them. I I think what what he does is is very beautiful. He says you have to bring your brother. There's you have another brother. You have to bring him here. I want to meet him. I want to know this whole family. It's also a, a desire of love. He wants to see his brother. He doesn't want to see just one brother at a time or just the, a group of the brothers. He wants to see them all. Mm. Because he still loves his brothers. In spite of everything that they did to him, Benjamin excluded, Benjamin didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but in spite of what his brothers have done to him, he still he still loves them. He really does care for them. And so he, he wants them to experience uh, his forgiveness. He wants them to know who he really is. They bring Benjamin. He reveals himself. He shows them who he actually is. They don't recognize him because he's an Egyptian now. Right. <laughs> they don't recognize him at all. But he, he reveals himself to them identifies who he who he really is and that's the other part he's taken on this new identity mm -hmm. but the new identity doesn't speak to who he truly is so now that the brothers have fulfilled the requirements for everything else he brings them back admits who he is shows them his love because he also sees that they're sorry he sees their repentance he sees their recognition that what they did to him was wrong so he's able to, you see all that, all that reconciliation happen, but not just the reconciliation because then, oh yeah, he saves them yeah. and all of Israel, yep. and so, all, all the people connected to the house of Jacob come to Egypt and they establish themselves and they become a great nation. But then they end up in slavery. But that nation, <laughs> that nation that ends up even, even in slavery after coming freely, mm-hmm but that nation becomes the instrument for God's salvation. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to your point about those, those challenges and those sufferings that we endure, those challenges and sufferings that we endure are ultimately going to be for God to reveal his love, his presence, mm -hmm. and therefore for us to lead people into that relationship with the Lord. There's also this quote in scripture that says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Mm -hmm. And to really understand these are moments of refinement that God is, um, not just, Hey, you're a leader, go out and do it. But it's like, it's through these moments that you are going to become the leader that you're supposed to be or the man and woman that you are called to. Um, it's through this, that you really grow in personal excellence. And that is very countercultural because we, again, want to eliminate suffering in so many different ways. Like when things get hard, well, I just don't want to do it. And if I'm expected to be a leader, well, I'm expected to probably do it the right the first time or get it right the first time rather than recognizing, oh, you know what, I, it's okay to fail in these things as long as I learn from it and then can apply it differently. Also to see that whatever the suffering is, we get hung up on it. Mm -hmm. We can get hung up on the suffering and it, it's easy. We need somebody usually from outside to, to point it out to us. Yeah. Like if I'm suffering something, I need somebody else who's going to point out to me that I'm complaining or that I'm, I'm focusing too much on the suffering and I'm not seeing God's grace. Mm. I need somebody else who's going to remind me of that. Like, what, why do you care so much? I remember mm. when I was on retreat, I was talking with a, a priest who was there. And he, at one point he just looked at me and he said, why do you care about that so much? That shouldn't be your primary concern or focus. And <laughs> he was right. And I knew he was right. Wow. But here he was saying, you're caring too much about this thing. Mm. And you should be focused instead on what God wants to do for you and through you. Yes, this is a real a real source of suffering for you. Yeah. Yes, it's bothering you. Fine. Move on. Yeah. Stop stop sitting in that 
that stew of annoyance that you have with this or that yeah. suffering that you have because because it's not getting you anywhere. No. Now, that's a particular kind of suffering. It's an interpersonal thing. It has nothing to do with like physical suffering mm -hmm. uh, or even a deeper emotional suffering, mm. right? A, a physical suffering, that's where we say unite yourself to the cross. Like look to Jesus on the, on the cross in that mm -hmm. suffering. Um, an emotional suffering, it, it might require some real serious uh, assistance mm -hmm. and, and treatment. But like our ordinary daily sufferings that aren't really that bad, but they are adversities. They are challenges that we have to face. They mature us. They teach us how to deal. After a while, you learn how to how to handle it. Yeah, he you're, did. You're going to meet somebody else though who's in that situation someday. You're going to meet somebody who's been through the same, or who's going through the same stuff that you've already been through. Mm -hmm. Do you want to leave them to go through it on their own, or do you want to show them something that is better? Yeah. You know, I don't want people to repeat the mistakes that I made going through stupidity. <laughs> going, going through, through yeah, stupidity. Going through my own stupidity. <laughs> growing through my own stupidity might be, I, I hope, a better way. I but, think that's a proper way to say yeah, it. Yeah, but you know, yeah. like I, I've done plenty of stupid things. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I don't want people to make the same mistakes that I made. I've also had to deal with certain things that are, are challenging. And so I can see when somebody else is going through something similar. It's not the same because they have their own experience of it. Mm -hmm. But it is a real genuine form of suffering. It is a real genuine challenge to their life or to their, their, their approach to things. I want to help them and I want to help them see the right way. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the leadership comes in. Right. Because the leadership that I learn from having suffered those things, from having allowed the Lord to guide me through, now I can bring to somebody else and show them. Right. And pointing out, like it says in scripture, and the Lord was with them. Like the Lord is with you. And you're right, like we need other people to kind of remind us that we haven't been abandoned, but that God is walking us through this fire. And a fire, what does it do? It, like when you put a precious metal into it, it's going to burn away all the impurities. It's going to refine it. And you're going to have that precious metal that is so desired at the end of the process. But that is what happens to us. That is what happens to our hearts and our minds and our souls. Like we go through this refining period consistently. And it's something to praise God for. Like, God, you love me so much that you're so involved in every like part of me that you seek this refinement so that mm. I can like really, truly be more greatly your image, yeah, your so image far, bearer. So far, we're mostly talking suffering, right? We're not talking leadership. Okay. <laughs> so this is where we, we have, we have, we have to shift to talk about leadership because yeah, yeah we've, we, this is great. All, all this good stuff about, about how to deal with suffering, but yeah. like, What's the leadership part of this? I think one one thing with being wanting to grow in leadership is saying yes to the journey. Like, okay, I'm going to say yes to these things. Um, so I'm going to say yes to suffering. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, in with with the Lord. Like, right. So now now that I recognize that I'm I'm dealing with this suffering, instead of trying to do it by myself, mm -hmm. I'm going to say yes to dealing with this with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Okay. Step one. Good. Okay. Step two. <laughs> step two. Uh, look around you and see, okay, like that, which I'm growing in, are there people around me that are also in the same place that I can really step into their life a little bit more to walk with them? So Joseph in the jail cell meets these other people mm -hmm. who are in jail with him and he steps into their life by interpreting their dreams, by teaching them something about what God is going to do and yeah. what good things are going to happen or bad things are going to happen. And he shows them that and they love him for it because he shares in their suffering, they're right there with him in the jail cell. Mm -hmm. right? He shares with them wisdom 
Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to tell them things, and he looks for nothing for himself. Exactly. Right? He's not doing it for selfish motives, but it's one of those who he serves, one yeah. of those men who he helps, who tells Pharaoh, I know a man who can interpret your dream. He's in your dungeon. Let's go get him. <laughs> and he's out of the dungeon. But Joseph doesn't do it for his own gain. Right. He does it rather simply because there are, there are men in distress who are suffering and who, who need to know. And so he shares in their suffering, but points them to something that's hopeful. Yeah. And that simply is known as servant leadership. It's it's the Christian model for leadership. And when you look at Jesus, Jesus, what does he constantly do? He, he does the hard for sure, but also he always is humbling himself to serve. Like this is the proper place for a Christian is what can I do? Not so that I am served and I'm like being given like, you know, everything that I want, but what can I do to give you that, which the people around need? Like, how can I serve you better? How can I like, um, yeah, this, is, this is St. Ignatius and his his meditation on the great king. So in this meditation, Ignatius writes about the, the king comes in and he calls to all those who are, are yes. present, come and follow me, come with me on this journey, come with me into the battle, come with me. Mm-hmm. We are going to endure everything together, all the things that come with this journey. That means the hardships, that means the camping outside and dealing with, with the suffering of, of being at, at war. You know, this is a great king going on his campaign, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to have to camp outside. We're going to endure all these hardships, but you're also going to share in the glory. Will you come with me and know that I will be with you in all of that? I'm not sending you out from my castle. I'm going with you to go into this. I'm going with you. Yeah. So that meditation on the, on the great king is that we have this we have this God who wants to enter everything. He wants to be part of every aspect of our lives. Joseph in the dungeon imprisoned, sold into slavery, still sees that God wants to be present with these men who are also imprisoned with him. He sees that God still has something that he wants to do, that he wants to offer. So he says, I, I'm here with you, and God is also here in this, in this moment with you. Be comforted and be prepared. Mm-hmm. Be comforted, be prepared to meet the Lord, be prepared for what God wants for you. Accept it. And so he shows them, he leads them, and he's present with them just in the way that the Lord himself is with us and wants to guide us, just in the way that Jesus enters into our human condition and goes to the cross and says, I will endure everything that you have to endure. So he goes to the cross. So he endures all the physical suffering. He endures the abandonment. He endures the emotional scars. Mm -hmm. He endures every wound that can be inflicted on the human race. But why? To show us a better way. Right. That reminds me, don't just be a bystander. I think that's when we can kind of take the Christian journey and say, well, I'm just, it's a spectator sport. So I'm just going to watch it from the sidelines. You have to get into the game and you have to participate. Um, and that means like stepping in, into the game. Like you said, like get ready for, for battle, get ready for this, like sign up. And we, we usually wait for other people to do things like, well, well, once that person does this, then I'm going to do that. Um, one student didn't want to wear a sumo suit until someone else did because the student was too afraid to put it on because this person didn't want to be the first this one to do this it. This isn't youth ministry. This isn't just some... Oh, right. Like, Sorry. This th- is no, this, this isn't like a metaphorical, <laughs> mythical example of once upon a time, time, there was a student who didn't want to wear a sumo suit. This is an actual youth ministry occasion. It was sumo, sumo soccer, yeah. and they were so excited, but how many of... A few of them shied away from being the first one sure. to start it. And like, yeah. well, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to do it until this other so person this, does it. All right, so that would be like Joseph at home. He sh- he'll shy away from taking the leadership role because there are others, his brothers, who mm-hmm. are older than him. 
mm-hmm. they by rights have that leadership role. Yeah. They're supposed to. So he can't take the leadership role, even though he knows that he's being called to it, even though he knows that, that he has to do it in his immaturity. Yeah. He just tells him someday I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the leader. Someday you're all going to bow down to me. I mean, he was 17 when that happened. So yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> he's, he's behaving exactly like, like a 17 year old. Right. Yes. But there's something deeper that has to happen. So even in that, that I, I feel called to this, I feel like I'm being pushed in this direction. Sometimes I need a nudge from somebody else. I need somebody else to, to lead me. So this is where that yeah, get active. You have to actually go and do something. You have to act. Right. And at the same time, an appropriate attitude of receptivity. I can't always be the one doing everything. Mm-hmm. And just because I'm active doesn't necessarily mean that I'm actually doing or accomplishing anything. Mm. I have to maybe take that step back and just receive for a little while. I have to be receptive to what others can do, mm-hmm. to the gifts and the talents, the skills of others. I have to be receptive to God's grace and what God wants to do for me because it's only by having received that I can then give anything at all. I, this is, I think this is another important part is delegating. Um, when, yes, if you are in a position where you do lead and you do things, um, are you willing to invite other people into that leadership with you to kind of share that responsibility by delegating, it's like, okay, now you're invited to step in this with me in the same way that Jesus invites us into his ministry and into his leadership. Um, we have to do the same for others. Um, and when you are surrounded with the idea essentially is kind of really surround yourself with more leaders by making them in the same way that we're called to, um, surround ourselves with disciples and make disciples. I, I think leadership really images is a mirror of that. Okay make leaders and surround them, surround yourself with that so that you can continue to grow. And in a sense, like also grow the influence that you have or be able to preach the gospel a little bit more. Um, but there are a lot, there are a lot of times where in leadership you don't delegate cause then you rely on like on yourself to get it done. Mm. Um, you're like, well, no one's going to do it. So I'm just going to do it. And that's super unhealthy. Um, because you have burnout, you have all these things. So yeah, you might have answered that call to participate, to do it, but it's not a solar, a, a solo journey. Like it's not a solar. It's also not a solar journey. We're <laughs> not, not flying to the we're sun. Not, we're not. You know, let's just fly straight to the sun. No, it's fly me to the moon. That's yeah. The well, like, like if, if Moses the was moon. the only one who was supposed to be a part of getting all the Israelites out of Egypt, like God sent him Aaron, like you and Aaron are going to do this. But then remember also what Moses has to learn. So along the way, this is this is the other receptivity part, mm-hmm. because Moses along the way is leading the people into the promised land or, or around around the promised land, waiting to for them to be allowed into the They're promised land. Just doing land. circles, but he's become the the sole judge for the whole nation of Israel. And his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and says, "What are you doing? Mm. You you are spending all your time dealing with the needs of the people. You have to delegate." Jethro gives him that wisdom to say set leaders over the people Mm -hmm. so that they can deal with the smaller matters. And the most important stuff will come to you for the executive decision. But you have to delegate some of this authority and some of this decision-making because otherwise you're going to destroy yourself. This is bad for you. You cannot serve these people this way. Yeah. The best way for you to serve is to share the, share the burden. And so Moses does, he follows that advice. He appoints other leaders who are going to take this on. They receive the spirit 
to do this and to have this wisdom so that they can oversee the people and, and guide them and help mm-hmm. them. And then Moses remains in his position to take the most serious cases and the most serious questions because it's also Moses's job to go before the Lord in the tent of meeting. It's Moses who has to go out to that, to that place where the ark is kept and see God as it were, face to face. He yeah. has to go out and spend that time with the Lord on behalf of the people. If all his time is spent dealing with their their interpersonal struggles and their little conflicts and everything else, even the smallest of conflicts, then he won't have that time that's necessary for him to go in before the Lord. And he's supposed to go in on behalf of the people. He's supposed to go in to pray on behalf of the people and to get the word from the Lord that he needs to bring back to mm-hmm. them. He can't do that if he's spending all this time. So he's receptive to the wisdom that Jethro offers to him. Then because he's receptive to it, he's able to act on it mm-hmm. and he becomes a better leader. So that's part of that that ongoing maturation that's necessary. Moses doesn't just say, I'm, I'm the leader because God called me. He continues to grow. Well, we're going to see that in almost every great leader yeah. in scripture and every bad leader in scripture fails to mature. Mm. Like pay attention to how, how this all works. Cause Joseph grows up, figures out what he's really supposed to do yeah. and then starts to act on it. Moses learns from his own mistakes, learns from his own, uh, his own need and learns from those who speak to him. He's receptive to that. And so the Lord guides him and, and gives him these, these talents. But Saul, for example, the first king of Israel, Saul is so concerned about, I've got to, I've got to have the right image and I've got to have everything done that he ends up falling and failing. Whereas David continues to learn. David is able to receive from the prophet Nathan that condemnation. He's able to receive that word that you need to repent. He's teachable. Yeah. Yeah. So a good leader then needs to also be ready to learn yeah. and be ready to learn new things, be ready to act on those new lessons that they've learned, be ready to, to receive criticism. Yeah. Even to, even to change, uh, maybe not to, to change entirely. So that's, you wouldn't be a leader if you needed everything about you to change, mm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But to change maybe strategy, mm. to change course, to, to shift, to meet this particular need, to change this particular thing that you do so that instead you can really live according to what's, what's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little tidbit on leadership for nice. now. And then I enjoyed diving into Joseph a little bit there and the whole, the whole story. I, cause there's so, there, you, there's so much there. I hadn't really thought about it before you, you mentioned Joseph as a model for leadership. I really hadn't given much thought to, to him as a leader other yeah. than circumstance sort of thrust him into the line. Right. And becoming in prime minister. Right. Yeah. But I hadn't really thought about how, no, in fact, that the groundwork was being laid for him to become a, a great leader, even in his suffering. Yes. In, in those moments of suffering. So it's not just like get through the suffering because eventually God's going to exalt you and do something great for right. you. Right. Like you're looking the for the glory. Level. Yeah. 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 be like, well, as long as I endure this suffering, then God's going to make me famous. Right. But then you think you have to earn these things, but rather the, rather than seeing them as gifts. Yeah, exactly. That you're placed in because of. And seeing them as an opportunity to cooperate with God's saving plan. Exactly. That's going to benefit not just you, but so many others. Mm-hmm. We get too selfish and we think, I've just got to get through this for me. I right. This for me, for me, for me, for me. Because if you can lead in suffering, that you can lead in seasons that aren't that. Mm-hmm. You can lead in seasons of joy. But you need to be able to not bleed duplicitous, I guess, you know? Well, and that time of suffering is not necessarily always a time of leadership. Right. Sometimes that time of suffering is just a time of suffering. Right. And that's it. 
it just, it sucks and it's painful, mm-hmm. but we're just going to suffer. Sometimes that time of suffering is a moment of real purification, mm-hmm. a moment of, of growing in maturity. Sometimes that suffering is a, a reminder and a lesson of what is going to come and what you need to do. So, yeah. 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 Well, Joseph and technical dream coat. I don't think that any of the stuff that we talked about is included in that musical. Go figure. I watched it once. I decided I was never going to watch it again. <laughs> I was babysitting a child and that child was like five and she really loved it. Hey, this was like 10 years ago. As it's long so as it weird. made her happy. That's all. Yeah, it did. Cool. Thanks, Paula. All right. Thanks, Father Sam. Good luck on your, your panel discussion tonight. I don't know what they're going to ask me. Paula's part of a panel and she has to be asked questions on the spot. You're going to be great. Yeah, we'll find out. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Hey, this is Roar Like the Lamb. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. And I'm Paula Pena. Thanks. 